This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, November 9th, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. Intelligence failures are real, but fixing those failures won't necessarily fix the bad policies meant to confront threats to our safety and security. Author Paul Pillar argues that intelligence hasn't played much of a role in many of America's big foreign policy decisions. His new book is Intelligence in U.S. Foreign Policy. He made his case at a Cato Institute book forum in October. Uh, The book that I wrote um, is about intelligence and policy and how it really works, which is not the same as how it works in theory uh, or how the perceived or common wisdom uh, would hold that it works. It's not a memoir, although I would acknowledge it has a lot of first person for an academic press book and uh, is based on a lot of personal experience. It's based, to begin with, on the idea that of all the things that go into sound foreign and security policy of this country, surely accurate images being held of whatever situation overseas our decision makers are dealing with is one of the more important ingredients. And that ingredient has seemingly gotten a lot of attention through the years, but in a very narrow way. That way is to talk about intelligence, whether it succeeds or fails, and if it fails, to so-called reform intelligence. And that's a very narrow conception for a number of reasons I'm going to get to in just a moment. It's the foundation for a national myth. All nations have myths. We've had other ones here in the United States. And the myth in this case is that when things go awry overseas or foreign threats hitting us here, That's because we simply did not understand the situation or the threat well enough. Our decision makers were not properly informed. And if we fix the problem, which is intelligence, then in the future we won't have that problem again of bad surprises and policymakers not being well informed. The myth serves mainly the purpose of reassurance. It's nice to think that when bad things happen, woebegone wars, terrorist attacks, you name it, that we can avoid a repetition if we find the right fix or reform. The myth's based on, at least partly on truth. We we do have real intelligence failures, that's for sure. But in several ways, it diverges from reality. One is the impact that intelligence really has on policy. Intelligence does a very important role in providing input, mainly at the tactical and operational level, every day, every week, on a host of things, from keeping track of the Chinese military to running down terrorists. But on the really big decisions, the things that form our opinions about how our government apparatus has performed, either well or poorly, When I say big decisions, I mean major departures, like going to war, or major grand strategic redirections of American policy, you can look back over, and what I do in this book is look back over the last, uh, basically the Cold War period, since World War II, and the influence of intelligence on those decisions has been virtually nil. And I look at a number of things, the Vietnam War decisions in the 1960s, President Reagan's redirections in the 80s, and so on. I'd be happy to talk about that later if you want to ask questions. And then you've got the Iraq War decision. 2003, which is one of the two big uh, opinion uh, shapers about intelligence in recent years, the other, of course, being the uh, 9-11 terrorist attack. And however much intelligence was used to sell the policy publicly of 
launching a war against Iraq. It had almost no role in making the decision. And I've got two or three chapters that basically are devoted uh, to reviewing what happened there. There was no policy process at all. There was no, no meeting in the sit room, no options paper, nothing like that where the issue of whether this war was a good idea was ever in play. So there was no opportunity not only for the intelligence bureaucracy, but for the professional military, the Foreign Service, or anyone else in the bureaucracy to have an input to that decision. Now, of course, we heard an awful lot about the the weapons of mass destruction that weren't. Uh, but as Paul Wolfowitz uh, describes it in a rare, candid moment, that was basically an issue that people could agree on as a sales device uh, for persuading the public that the war was a good idea. The infamous estimate that we all heard so much about from the fall of 2002 was never even asked for by the administration. It was asked for by Democrats in Congress. The president, the national security advisor, never even read it. It included judgments like, um, if indeed Saddam had these feared weapons, he probably would not use them against the United States or give them to terrorists, except in one situation, that is if we try to launch a war against his country and overthrow his regime. Hardly a selling point for going to war. And if you look at the other issues about terrorist ties and about what the consequences of a war would be after uh, Saddam was overthrown, the overall thrust of all of that, if you wanted to draw a conclusion from the intelligence community judgments, was not to launch the war rather than to launch it. Now, of course, in Congress and the larger public, there was a resonance with regard to this issue of feared weapons, but uh, there wasn't an, any more attention to what the intelligence community was really saying there than there was with the administration. Um, according to reporting from uh, Dana Priest, who in turn was sourcing this to the staffers who kept custody of the documents, there were only six U.S. senators and, quote, a handful, unquote, of representatives who ever bothered to look at that snake-bitten estimate from 2002. Um, intelligence has become a kind of spectator sport in this country. We, we, uh, we look at successes and failures not because of any real effect that they have on policy, but because they happen to involve things that are easy to score as successes or failures. So it's discrete things like election results, re uh, revolutions, nuclear tests, uh, terrorist attacks, that sort of thing. Even though that you add all that up and it's only a fraction of what the intelligence community's responsibilities uh, have to do with. And some of the most notorious instances of what are true intelligence failures, the 1973 Middle East War, the Iranian Revolution, and I've got discussions of those things in the book as well, had virtually no effect, one way or another, uh, on uh, American policy and whether it succeeded or failed. Now, there's another problem with the mythology, and that is it doesn't take account of the effect of policy on intelligence. And I'm not going to take any time to say anything about that. We're talking about politicization, which is the focus of Josh's book, and he'll be talking about that more uh, in a moment. So I'm just going to skip to a third basic problem with the mythology, and that is it assumes that with the right fixes to intelligence, there's a nirvana out there where we won't have any more failures, where if, if the bureaucracy just worked the right way, we would no longer suffer any more bad surprises, and that really is a mistaken part of the myth. Uh, consider the fact that intelligence failure and reform has been a very old issue. It certainly goes back in this country at least to uh, Pearl Harbor. 
And we've had a whole succession, I mean, uh, about a score of them, of commissions, committees, inquiries in both the legislative and executive branches, as well as the huge corpus of commentary on the outside. And that raises the question, if intelligence has been perceived for so long as broken and in need of being fixed, then why haven't we, after some six decades or more, seven decades, ever fixed it? Well, there are some popular explanations to that. Either we just haven't hit on the right idea, or you know, the political stars just haven't been aligned right to get reform through, and there's some truth to that one. Or um, things have changed, the world changes, so we have to continually adapt to things, and even if we got things right in the past, we have to change the apparatus to get it right in the future. Now, you know, there are some kernels of truth to each of those, but they don't really explain why the issue has been around for such a long time. The very fact that it has been in play for so long, I think, kind of cuts the rug out from under the idea that we just haven't come up with the right idea yet. And as for the world changing and having to adapt to new circumstances and so on, that issue itself has been around for a long time. All the rhetoric that you've heard over the last a decade or two about getting beyond the Cold War. We were hearing that in the middle of the Cold War. Um, it's, a, it's a popular line of argument because it makes whoever uh, 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 presents the argument sound current, sound up to date, and so on. There are really three other explanations which are much less comforting, much less popular for why the issue has been around for so long. One is intelligence failures are inevitable for two basic reasons. Other people keep secrets. And number two, most of the things that are ingredients to what we consider intelligence failures, revolutions not predicted and so on, are the result of processes which are simply too complex to model. And social scientists have a hard enough time postdicting these things, let alone anyone predicting them. And a second basic reason is the performance of intelligence is not as bad as we commonly perceive it because we've got to build in bias in terms of badness versus goodness. Failures make news, successes don't. Failures make for commissions and inquiries, successes don't. And we're always burdened by that huge thing called hindsight, uh, which looks at things with a particular gloss as to what could have been avoided or not, and that's far different from dealing with the situation in real time. And the third reason the issue has been around for so long is the one I already alluded to. It's a source of comfort. The idea that if we could just get the next fix right, even though we haven't done so these last you know, 60 or 70 years, then finally we're going to be safe and we can stop wringing our hands about intelligence failure. Paul Pilar is a veteran of the CIA and author of the new book, Intelligence and U.S. Foreign Policy. You can watch the forum for the book at Cato.org.